Welcome, boys and girls, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the all-new, all-different, now-playing X-Men one-week engagement number 111, the June 1978 issue on sale March 21st of 1978, titled Mind Games. Definitely. It's true. I'm not lying. <laughs> Before we get going totally into this issue, I do want to make mention of one thing. Uh, I have now switched over to Marvel Masterworks, the Uncanny X-Men volume number three, which is very, very difficult to find on the internet for a reasonable price. How much did you pay? Well, I didn't end up getting it online because I couldn't find it online for less than 60 or $65. Of course, wow, this, you could buy an omnibus for that. I know. Uh, not saying I spent any less than that, but I went to my local comic book shop, uh, Westfield Comics, and uh, they happened to have uh, Marvel Masterworks, all of them, one copy of each sitting on their shelf uh, for sticker price, which is a little insane. This particular one retailed for $54.99. Wow. I know. And the next one, uh, well, I guess the next one retailed for the same price. but I paid $25 for the next volume. Uh, no, but I paid uh, 10% off of that. So I paid still like $49 for this. Uh, and it was only... paid less for the Omnibus. <laughs> Holy crap. Well, you can't get that Omnibus anymore either. So <laughs> there was just no way around if I wanted to read from some sort of, uh, you know, reprinted magazine uh, that I was going to spend any less than 50, 60 bucks. Um, the only reason the guy gave me a 10% discount was because he was impressed that I was going back to the John Byrne stuff. Oh. Yes. So, there you go. So, anyhow, on the cover of this particular uh, issue, you have uh, Sean Cassidy, who is basically a carnival barker, saying, Come check out these freaks, everybody. Step right up, ladies and gents. See the strangest show on earth. What is he, Irish? I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. Once they were a mighty super team, and now they're performing freaks. Yeah. And you got Storm up there. She's in some weird costume. She's the goddess of elements. Nightcrawler's the man or monster, uh, who's actually still in his Nightcrawler uniform. So literally nobody wants to draw him outside of that uh, Nightcrawler costume. True. Wolverine is tied up in a bunch of chains, and he's the killer beast in human form. Savage. And then oh, yeah. you got uh, Colossus behind holding up a couple of one-ton weights. Looks like he's wearing like some Egyptian garb of some kind. And he's holding up a barbell with lots of weights on it with his pinky. Mm-hmm. So what the heck is happening in this comic book? Well, we turn to the first page, and it's none other than Night Crow. I mean Beast. <laughs> Yes. Watching something that he doesn't believe, he doesn't believe at all. In 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 a in a crowd, there are some clowns in the background. A bunch of kids are in the crowd. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a trench coat and a fedora. Yes, which I guess is keeping him concealed. 
inconspicuous. In yep. This one's written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, lettered by Tom or 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 Orzachowski, I'm going to say. Orzachowski. And colored by Mary Titus. Archie Goodwin editing. Indeed. We get a brief intro of who Hank McCoy is, but we already know that, so we're going to move on mm-hmm. to a reproduction of that very same cover. It's a it's a double-page half-spread of Sean Cassidy. Again, uh, tickets have gone up in price to $5 now. <laughs> Although I don't know how much they were on the cover. Uh, and we see the essentially the same scene. Uh, a bunch of posters are behind him, but we also get now uh, Phoenix as a kind of fire-haired woman flying in the background with a little Phoenix bird around her. And yeah, you know, it's it's kind of written in Scottish speak. Uh, Sean Cassidy's uh, carnival barking, but I prefer it to be like fast time fifties speaker. It's the bargain of a lifetime for young and old. If you pass by, you're bra- uh, you, you'll be regretting it till you... Yeah, but see, he's got all that. You'll be regretting it till your dying day, but I don't see him doing that. I, I would imagine that he would be, like, old-timey speaking. I like how his word balloons start with, hurry, 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 and end with, yowzer, yowzer, yowzer. Oh, yeah, well, he's a carnival barker. It's true. And so Beast is... Uh, cruising through the carnival, uh, checking out the scene. He doesn't quite believe what he's seeing. But he's also not quite sure if, if these truly are the X-Men. I mean, as we recall, uh, the only time he's really interacted with the X-Men was way back in, what, 95 or 6 or 7, uh, and that was only by video screen. Right. Uh, I think it was 94. Could have been, yeah. Where he said, like, the Avengers can't help. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, the Avengers are doing stuff. Can you guys handle this? Could you could you call back later? It's just Count Nefaria. I mean, come on. <laughs> you guys can handle them. Like we totally took them down when we were teenagers. And you had yeah. all those plant people. You got this. <laughs> so yes, he passes by Wolverine. He's like, well, that could be Wolverine. I, I guess I'm not really sure. Um, he also talks about uh, if these aren't the real X Men, he will go and check the Cerebro that apparently he's brought with him for malfunctions. So who is uh, behind Nightcrawler? There's someone named Leah Loha, the duck. <laughs> I don't Who's know that. Is that any relation to Howard, the duck? I don't know. Their last names are the same. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Nice. And so he passes by Nightcrawler and says, I guess that teleporting character could be Nightcrawler. I mean, isn't at this point where you're like, all right, there's a circus freak who's teleporting. I bet you he's a mutant, if nothing else. Beast is just not sure. He wants to have his facts <laughs> straight before he, he proceeds. Uh, we get Nightcrawler's only line of dialogue in this comic. Yarg! <laughs> I think it's more like a yarg. Like he's, because he's all creepy and he's freaking out the kids. Eek! Yarg! Icky stinks. Hey, Marty, I heard a cat yell like that once when Mama stepped on its tail. So I guess uh, that so would be like, Yarg! Yeah, that's much better. <laughs> uh, he passes by Storm and is like, oh, I don't know who that poor kid is because she's got like a bikini dress on and she's holding up a spear and she's got like some typical African scene behind her. Nobody yeah. should have to deal with this. 
Yeah. And from what I've heard, Storm sure wouldn't. So this must not be Storm. Correct. And he's starting to convince himself otherwise not. It's probably not them. And that's when he decides to have a flashback. <laughs> what does this all prove? Still, don't have anything concrete, and I can only go so far working on hunches. Oh, Lorna, what have you gotten this little beastie into? Hmm? What? Indeed. She was frantic when she phoned from Scotland. Havoc had been kidnapped? And she'd been unable to get any answer when they called the X-Men for help? So... See, I kind of read this whole thing as like he's a 50s PI and he's walking down the streets and there's all these neon signs passing above his head. All right, all right, I can do that, all right. I hot-footed it up to the mansion to see what I could do. If the X-Men were on a mission, I could still use Cerebro to find Havoc. The place was, was deserted. Is that all right? And judging from the mail, it had been for quite a while. Absolutely, Adam, that was spot on. Having a great time. Wish you were here, Charles and Lalandra. Who's Lalandra? And where are they? Where did they go? <laughs> um, we, the audience, have no idea, but I guess we could guess that they're on a little vacation. I guess. That's just terrible. The X-Men have clearly not been here for weeks. There's newspapers piling up in the doorway. Yeah, you know, um, the perfect... The, the, the phone call that he's referring to is actually not captioned, but it's referring to Marvel team-up number 69, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, you're right. It isn't. Uh, Marvel team up number seventy is referenced, but sixty nine is not. Anyways, um, it, it is pretty bad writing here, in my opinion, because I mean we've established that the professor has a psychic rapport with his team. So if they've been gone for weeks, wouldn't the professor be like, Andra, I think we need to go back to the mansion. Something's wrong. Well, we don't know where the professor. I mean, for all we know. I'm I'm assuming the professor's dead. <laughs> oh, okay. Or or maybe they're having such a good time, wink wink, nudge nudge, that he doesn't, he doesn't even, even care. care. <laughs> oh, Lilandra! <laughs> it has the been. The X-Men are never mind. <laughs> I haven't felt this way since well, Moira, and Jean, and, <laughs> and every, every other, other woman, woman that I've encountered. Well, he uh, maybe they're in space, and his psychic rapport doesn't work that far. Oh, so maybe they're at like the tribunal that's establishing whether or not Lilandra can be the ruler or something like that. Right. I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's the case. I, I I don't know that we will find out for a while, and by then we'll probably won't remember. Uh, you're probably right. So Beast continues his little uh, adventure trying to find the X Men. He goes through the kitchen, which is full of uh, like they were in the middle of dinner when. Whatever went down, went down, because there's half-eaten dinner, half-washed dishes, etc. This kind of doesn't jive with something that's going to be coming up later. That's fine. I I didn't... <laughs> as it never does. As it ne I, I, I've, go, I've grown accustomed to that, so I don't even uh, recall it when I see it, but uh, anyways... Uh, so he hopped a Quinjet, or no, he... Um... Wait, first he says, almost as if they disappeared between one bite and the next... I wonder if this has anything to do with those vanishing Avengers. See Avengers 170 to 172. And I'm here to tell you, Jeremy, it doesn't. Oh, okay. Why not? I, I read 170 and 172. And yeah, there are some Avengers that go missing in that. And it turns out to be the Collector. Okay. But those issues were mostly dedicated to uh, facing off with Ultron. And then at the very... Uh, I have a question for you. Is Henry Gyrich, is he in, uh, is he an X-Factor? Is that 
No. Am I getting that correct? No, but you're no. close. Is he in the X-Men lore at all? Yes. He absolutely okay. is. And uh, he gets more mention, I think, I don't know, in the team-up? One of the two. Well, in Avengers 170, I think 170, he comes to the Avengers team and says the government is no longer funding them and they're off-limits. They're no longer allowed to use their Quinjets. They're no longer allowed to use their uh, Omni-Visi screens. They're not allowed to use their communications. Tony Stark at some point says, uh, you better use the phone and, and call up all the Avengers we know. <laughs> okay. And, uh, so, so Beast, as we see in the next panel, kidnaps a uh, Quinjet that he's really not supposed to have. Right. So whatever Lorna called about, it must have been pretty urgent. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But Henry Gyrick, or as we will know him, Henry Peter Gyrick, is definitely established in X-Men lore, and I thought would have been introduced in the pages of X-Men, but I'm I'm guessing that your Avengers 170 to 172 is probably his first appearance. Uh, I, I got the feeling that he had been around prior to that, oh. so... Avengers might be his first appearance. I'll let you know as I start filling in those gaps. Okay. Because uh, his first, he has not, uh, as you know, as you've read all the X-Men comics, he has not yet appeared in the pages of the X-Men. That is definitely true. And I don't think he will for quite a while, but he plays a pretty important role. Right now he's a government officiato who is managing the Avengers funds. Interesting. He's he's basically like that guy in Ghostbusters. Peck, yeah, yeah. Walter Peck. Well, he wasn't really managing the Ghostbusters so much as trying to make sure that they were adhering to EPA conditions. Okay, well, he is uh, he's making sure that they uh, adhere to government uh, <laughs> specifications. I don't know. All right, Whatever. fine. <laughs> I got a Walter Peck vibe, okay? No, no worries, no worries. Um, so he went to go to Cerebro, uh, only to find that Cerebro had been completely shut down. So somebody with some know-how must have turned it off. My guess is that the professor, uh, as he was out the door with Lilander is like, oh, I better shut, sh shut Cerebro off. Yeah. She was like, make sure you conserve all the power. Uh, <laughs> professor, we don't want to waste our energy. And he was like, oh, oh, you know, I never thought of that before. I'm going to turn off Cerebro. That's okay, because Beast was able to restart the computer in no time flat. And that's when he found the X-Men. Uh, so he doesn't, he doesn't uh, know what to, to expect when he flies out to wherever this is. And he, called, he calls the Avengers about Havoc, which, I don't know, that never really happens in the pages of Marvel Team-Up number 70, but... We'll get to that later. Yeah, maybe that happened off page. Yeah, it must have. Okay. And um, and now he's at the circus. And all this right. is where he's been led. So if Cerebro led him here, and he's seeing all these people that are just like the X-Men, you would think he would trust his senses at this point. Nope, he's, he's still got... He needs more proof. Uh, one thing I'd like to say is that I think that this is one of the very first issues in the X-Men where there's like five stories that are surrounding it that kind of tie in, whereas before you've only had like one or two. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of other lore going on in the Marvel Universe that just ties into this. You don't need to read it, but it's interesting that it's there. It's true. Yeah. So anyways, yes, he finds uh, the red-headed girl who's on a flying trapeze and thinks that mm, that might be Marvel Girl, but... What she's wearing? 
Oh, that doesn't look like any Marvel girl I know. And the poster from the previous panel didn't really look like Marvel Girl either. Mm-hmm. She was uh, really phoenixy. Nothing makes sense, and the harder and the harder I try to figure things out, the crazier it all gets. As he's watching the uh, circus aerial aerialists, as they're called, uh, the redhead misses during an, a triple somersault. She misses uh, her handheld, uh, her handhold from her her partner, her her catcher, and the crowd screams. And Beast says, "I gotta get out there. She'll be killed." But then she slowly levitates to the floor, and uh, the the carnival barker cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear a grand round of applause for Ms. Destiny. Call it what you like, Banshee. Oh, so now he knows that it's Banshee. But as He's far decided. As, as, <laughs> but as far as I'm concerned, the lady's name is Jean Grey. And so he watches Jean take off towards her uh, trailer, and he decides that now is the time to make his move. Now, has he introduced himself as Blue Beast to Marvel Girl? I don't think so. Like, the professor, been... the, the professor knows... Iceman knows. Angel knows. Oh, does the prof- professor knows? Yeah, there was well, an... I guess, there I was... guess he was on the Vizzy screen. Well, there, yeah, there was that. But there was an issue a while back where uh, the professor reached out to Beast and Beast said, no, I can't help or something. Yeah, I but I didn't think he got a... Because Marvel Girl was in that same issue in panel. Yeah. And I, I think they they couldn't quite sense there was, what was yeah, going on. Right. There was that too. Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Um, but so, anyways, he's going to go. Well, and in the next panel, he is tracking her back to this her her circus uh, tent or house or whatever. And we get she's got her same hair that she had as Miss Destiny, but when he walks into her room, she's got an entirely different haircut. Well, she's the Phoenix. Or she can do it her style, I suppose. Phoenix, she can do whatever she wants. Maybe what happened here is she went back to her trailer and then Beast waited an hour because Marvel Girl also says, uh, well, excuse me, Ms. Destiny, may I come in? That's why the door's open, sport. I'm a lady who loves to meet a public. Only make it short and sweet. I got a heavy date. So I'm thinking that she's been sitting here for like an hour prepping for her date. In the prior panel, he says, I think it's time I made my move. So his move consists of waiting outside. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we've already, yeah. My move is to wait. Like a beast, he had to crawl around and do some sniffing. <laughs> he, he sniffed around. He circled the... Uh, he marked uh, his territory. <laughs> yes. He peed in the bushes. He circled the trailer three times before actually going in. So, uh, yeah. So she's now smoking cigarettes, too. Something's really wrong. Yeah, and she's got a uh, a little, uh, uh, what do you call those? Uh, garter belts? Not a pimple. Oh, a little mole. No, you know. Yeah, a little mole a below mole. her eye. She's yeah. got a mole. I, like, that's that's got to be fake. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, he walks in and he's like, yeah, the hairstyle, smoking, garter belts, a mole. No way this is Gene. No way! No way! So he says, uh, 
Um, I'm looking for a friend of mine, a woman called Jean Grey. Oh, and she says, yeah, she says, you found her, Chunky. Only I don't remember any friends looking like you. Chunky monkey. (laughs) And... Fisha Coke, I should have known. Fella, my handle's Miss Destiny, like it says on the door. And that's when... uh... That's when Slim shows up. You got troubles, baby? This bozo's got me confused with some other broad. Get him out of here, will you, Slim? I got a date with the boss. Slim? Scott? And uh, Scott, uh, he's buff. He's apparently been working out over the last few weeks that he's been missing. That's all he's been doing. (laughs) (laughs) And he grabs the beast and says, beat it, punk. Nobody, uh, I don't know nobody named Hank and cripes. That's when his hat falls off and now everybody realizes that he's blue and furry. Oh my gosh, I thought he was just in the shadows this whole time. <laughs> he's a mon monster. Beast knocks Cyclops out of the room and he he, he flies and that's when Cyclops shouts, "Hey Rube! Hey Rube!" So, to which I had to go to Wikipedia. Hang on a second. Well, I want to hear your story, but when this uh, uh the classic X-Men version of this is the very first classic X-Men issue I ever bought which happens to be right about the same time I bur- uh, bought my first X-Men comics ever and it was also right about the same time that I got my original Marvel Masterworks X-Men number 1 in which it was the first 10 issues so after reading Cyclops here calling for some person named Rube I assumed and then going to uh, X-Men number, what, five or six or whatever, uh, when the blob took over. Right. And he starts calling for Rube. I'm like, who is this Rube person? <laughs> and why don't we ever get to see him or her? I know better now, but what did Wikipedia tell you about Rube? I, too, was wondering what was going on since this did remind me of that X-Men number five. And it turns out that, hey, Rube is a slang Phrase most commonly used in the United States by circus and traveling carnal, carnival workers slash carnies with origins in the middle 19th century. It is a rallying call or cry for help used by carnies in a fight with outsiders. It is also sometimes used to refer to such a fight. The clown got a black eye and a hay rube. Oh. And they say that, um, let's see. According to authors David Carolyn and Kim Emerson, the origin of the expression can be traced to 1848 when a member of Dan Rice's troop was attacked at a New Orleans dance house. That man yelled to his friend named Reuben, who rushed to his aid. Oh. They also suspect that it might be a slang term for country folk who are known as rustic Rubens, shortened to the term rubes, huh. which we've heard that before. Sure. So anyways, the Beast takes his jacket off because he's very afraid of this Rube guy. <laughs> you know, as you would be. And uh, he decides that he uh, should have uh, should have decked him. I should have should decked have him. pulled his punch. He should have knocked him out. Uh-huh. Well, a la X-Men number five, the carnival folk come to attack. At which point Beast runs away. Circus folk! No! The worst kind of folk. Circus folk. Run! 
Next time I'm at a, at a carnival, I'm going to shout, Hey, Rube! And see what happens. <laughs> I think you got to do it twice. Um, hey, Rube! Hey, Rube! And then all of a sudden, this dude named Rube crashes through a wall with a pitcher of Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah! <laughs> uh, didn't didn't Blob call for Rube twice? Didn't he say, Hey, Rube, hey, Rube? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Maybe, I don't know, I think twice is the is the key. Well, Beast does take off. He's being uh, chased by all the circus people. And there's a bunch of uh, carnival goers that are like, look at that, there's a monkey on the loose. He mentions that he's an Avenger, and a clown pulls a gun, and he uh, he socks him one. Uh-uh, Conehead, no guns. Wouldn't want anybody to get hurt. And that's yes. when he tries to hide inside of the freak show tent. Which, as he hates to admit it, looks made to order. Yep, and he sees a guy, in, he's, well, he's thinking about uh, Scott, who is leading the charge, and he never knew that he was so bloodthirsty. Um, in the foreground... He to himself, maybe I've stumbled upon a, onto a gang of dead ringers. Aha. Uh-huh. In the foreground, we see Wolverine hanging from his chains. Yep. And then we get a lot of Beast talking aloud. I mean, he's trying to maintain a low profile and, and hide, but there he is just chattering about to himself. Yeah, these should really be thought balloons. Blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to take my pencil and lightly sketch in some circles. I can't risk handling this alone. Any force or being capable of zapping the X-Men isn't to be taken lightly. I wonder who it could be. Well, what's important now is getting some reinforcements on the double and, for instance, the rest of the Avengers. Hmm, no noise outside. I better be moving on now. Blah, 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 blah. Hmm, I could go for a sandwich later, too. You know, I think I passed a McDonald's that was open as I flew over here. Hmm, I like chicken McNuggets. What kind of sandwich would I like? Turkey? No, maybe ham. I wonder if the... Ah, yes, ham. I wonder if the McRib is out still. <laughs> I'm going to rub my tummy. You know what I heard is good? McPizza. <laughs> but they only have it in Canada. In foreign countries, they sell beer at McDonald's. <laughs> yes, and not just a paper cup of beer, a glass of beer. Oh, wait, that's movie theaters. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, as as we're getting back on topic, uh, uh, um, Beast is reminded that he's still trying to hide from these uh, X-Men who have clearly been taken over when he's punched in the back of the head by a metal-armed man. Who we recognize as Colossus. Again, we get another sketch of Wolverine in the corner, kind of ferociously sitting there with very, very, very large chains. Thanks a heap, Colossus, says Beast on the floor. And now the carnivals, uh, the carnies have all figured out where Beast is. Hey, you guys, the Ruskies found him! And that's when they beat the ever-loving crap out of Beast. Holy, this looks violent! You just see his hand reaching up from a crowd. They've all got baseball bats and lead pipes as Wolverine watches on. Yes, uh, he would have been able to take this crowd, but uh, more than likely Colossus's punch to the back of his head didn't help matters here. So the crowd easily takes Beast down and drags him off. Uh, one of the people says that the boss says he's going going to do for Fuzzy what he did for the others whoever this boss person is. Wolverine says to himself, No! 
Indeed he does. And they drag Beast up the uh, to another carnival trailer. They bang on the door to get him in front of the boss. The carnival people are kind of curious about this. They're like, he said he's an Avenger. The boss is... The boss, it's almost like the boss wants the Avengers to come. Yeah. I don't know if that's the truth or not, but... And we don't ever find out. Spoilers, but... Uh, so he brings the beast in, props the beast up, and the beast says, You! Mesmero! And we get the sexiest MF and panel of Mesmero I have ever seen. He is like... He is like pinup model... Just lying out on the table. He's got his arms, uh, his legs up on the table. He's he's like posing for Beast. He's like, welcome, Beast. See anything you like? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I heard you were the one who was into this sort of thing, Beast. <laughs> I talked to Iceman and Angel, but they said you were the one to go to, so here we are. <laughs> we're alone now. I'm green, you're blue. Come on, what's to say? <laughs> It's... I snared Marvel Girl in Grand Central Station in the confusion of the rush hour crowd. She didn't realize her danger till it was too late. She gave me access to Xavier's mansion, and from there the X-Men fell like dominoes. An instant eye contact was all I needed to enthrall even the strongest of them, as I will now enthrall you, beast. Mesmero has the power of enthrallment. It's true. You know what he reminds me of here? He reminds me of a He-Man character. This is, yeah, he's like one of the snake guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he's purple, he's muscular. It doesn't look like he's wearing pants. He's just got, like, the underwear. And if you look at it, like, maybe he's wearing a green shirt, or maybe that's just, like, bare skin, just like a He-Man figure would be, you know, just underwear, boots, and a helmet. Yeah, it, it absolutely. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> is this a redesign of his costume, or was this essentially what it was? Eh, this I is, just don't remember. This is essentially what it was. Okay. He, he is recognizable as the old Mesmero, who was drawn by, um, uh, remember? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, it was originally uh, Starenko. Yes, yes, Jim Starenko. Uh, so he had the cowl in the green and purple costume. I'm sure there's a little bit of redesign here, but but similar similar in design. Well, he's definitely sexier. Oh, he is much sexier here. Oh yeah. Well, anyways, outside of this whole thing, uh, Wolverine ha- has uh, uh, well, he's gritting his teeth, he's sweating, and now he's also snapping his chains. Which is str- in the very first panel, he he breaks a link, which. If he had just noticed that, he could have easily slid his hands out through the link that he broke. Yeah. But he doesn't notice. So he, how do they describe it here? The links and shackles forged to the hardest steel money can buy. Guaranteed unbreakable, yet Wolverine never yields as images explode around the miasmic fog enshrouding his mind. The fight has sparked a response deep within him, a primal elemental need. It's been at the core of Wolverine's being all his life. A need to be free, and he, with a mighty shakact, bursts out of his chains. So Wolverine now has super strength in addition to his instincts. What else does he have? Is that it? 
Uh, yeah, he's just got animal instincts at this point. And claws. Well, I mean, I mean if... I guess, I guess stealth, he was able to sneak up on that deer. Oh, That's sure. That's kind of animal, animal instincts I guess yeah. I would go with. I don't know. I just don't... I'm not, I'm not chalking this up to super strength. I'm chalking this up to uh, berserker rage adrenaline. Yeah. But that can only take you so far. I mean, if this is the uh, hardest steel money can buy, I mean, you know going to take a lot of strength to burst that open and i don't know i mean i get the the illustration here and the dramatics here it's all well played out and the pacing is all nice but when you stop and think about who wolverine is now and what he can do like can't break chains like this nowadays nowadays he can do anything (laughs) with his claws but he can't just snap chains with his bare arms i bet he can all right i don't know story calls for it these days (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, he he uh, he 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 need he has that need to be free, and as soon as he busts free, he thinks to himself, "What the flaming? Where am I?" And that's when he the torrent of uh, thoughts comes back to him, and he remembers Gene and a green skinned guy burning into his head. He needs some answers now, so he finds one of the bozos, grabs him, and threatens to pop a claw on his neck. Threads to count of five, or he pops his claws, and the guy says, "You, you're bluffing." And that's when Wolverine says, "One, four, five. and then the guy freaks we'll out. Talk, oh, we'll I'll talk! I'll talk!" <laughs> oh, Wolverine! Yes, Wolverine! You clown! Well, anyways, uh, Slim and uh, Ms. Destiny are still hanging around the uh, the their trailer there, and. Uh, Ms. Destiny there, Marvel Girl, she's still getting ready for her date with the boss. And We're uh, talking about Beast and, and the night, and that's when Wolverine bursts in through the side of the trailer, claws, claws free, and freeze it, genie, you ain't going nowhere. She's about to go on a date with the boss, presumably Mesmero. Mm-hmm. And Slim comes in to help. He's like, back off, shrimp. You want to mess with Miss Gray? You're going to have to go through Slim Summers first. And uh, somewhere in here is a snacked Wolverine cheeses claws, and that's when he decks Slim Summers just like that. There's there's no snacked. No, there isn't, but (laughs) his claws are, are, I mean, it must be off panel. You're right. He does not slice Scott's head off. He just punches him across the face. So when Mesmero did his uh, enthralling on Slim here, he must have made Slim forget about his optic blast because nowhere has he used him in in two positions that he could have uh, very much used those powers. Right. And then you got to wonder, like, everybody seems to have a circus act uh, or a job, like Banshee's a carnival barker and the rest of them are all performers. What's Slim's role? He's the bouncer. Uh Oh, okay. Fair enough. I guess, I mean, that's why he's been working out. <laughs> sure. So Wolverine pulls uh, Jean close and has a little conversation with her. And she's like, hey there, there ain't need to be rough, you know. I won't scream or nothing. I'll do whatever you want. Only please don't hurt me, please. Oh, carnival folk. Yeah, like she's turned into like some 60s bimbo here from Greece or something. <laughs> uh, You're the one that I want. <laughs> <laughs> Lady, I wish there was some other way, but there ain't. And then he slaps her across the face, and uh, he feels bad about it, but he does it again, and he does it again, and he thinks to himself, part of me is buried so deep, even Mesmero's power couldn't touch it. 
I broke out of my hypnotic trance by reacting to things on a gut instinctive level, and maybe this will cause Jean Grey slash Phoenix to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it does. I'm gambling these slaps will scramble her head enough to bring that part of her to the surface. Or he just enjoys slapping women around. I hope not, because <laughs> I, 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 I feel very uncomfortable with this whole scene of... I just, I was like, Chris Claremont, did you really have to go here? Yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> uh, the slapping is a little silly, like, I don't know, maybe if he would have, like, threatened her life, like, held her down. Well, even that's kind of a bit abusive. I'm not sure. Something else, though. I mean, obviously, the goal is to get her to, like, use her power and, I guess, get to the core uh, personality of, of Marvel Girl. Which works. Right, he's trying to get to down to her gut and just make her react. And he even says, come on, Jeannie, react. React. Oh, jeez. Stop! Stop! Don't you hate me, little man? Don't you ever hit me like that again? <laughs> Wolverine. Jeez. Phoenix is out and knocks Wolverine with a massive slap across. Well, essentially like a, a Phoenix slap. Yep. So... Maybe this is uh, Chris Claremont's way of saying, it's okay, like, Wolverine got two little smacks in, but Wolverine, he got punched out. It was a different time, but I, I, I still can't, just can't approve. Anyway. <laughs> well, you know, it's like those uh, 70s movies where the main star comes and grabs the girl and starts smacking her in the face and says, snap out of it, woman, snap out of it, smack, smack, smack. Oh, oh, you're right. We shouldn't be terrified of the murderer. Let's go. <laughs> you know what? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I know what you're talking about. I don't like those either. Well, yeah, they're very cliched, and and these days parodied, parodied, parodied. Well, anyways, uh, so yeah, she says, "Don't hit me again." Makes him go flying, and that's when she comes out of her trance, and she remembers Wolverine, and she, she what's has- happening? Wolverine, oh, I'm so, I, I completely lost my Marvel Girl voice. Was, oh, is, I'm so sorry. Are you all right? That's right. No, I, I, got, I lost it. <laughs> well, you can do Wolverine then. Shoot, lady, you pack a mean zap. I'm banged up some, but I'll live. Help me up, will ya? We gotta use your powers to free the rest of the X-Men figures, Wolverine. I... Not sure how that works, but okay. Well, this maybe, is maybe because she's a telekinetic. I guess that makes sense. Oh, this is Phoenix. At this point, she's kind of established that she can do a lot of things with her power. So, I know, but yeah, okay, she's all got, right. I, I'll I'll grant Wolverine the. Well, she's got telepathy too, so potentially she could reach into their minds and be like, "You are not a Mesmero enthrallment. You are an X Man." That, that's right. Yeah, it's got to be the telepathy. That's what I figure. So we flip back to Mesmero who. Is still trying to enthrall Beast, but is saying, impossible. He's using his full strength of his hypnotic powers, but he's not able to get Beast under his power. Because Beast has had super Avengers training. I guess. We're, I led, to, we're led to believe that all Mesmero had to do is look at all of the X-Men. Just once, one quick glance to have him completely under their control. Well, that's what Mesmero said, so I'm willing to, you know... Okay, maybe there's a maybe maybe he was just being all braggartish and, and okay, just like oh that was really easy, but literally it took like a week to get them all under his control. <laughs> He's like, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and so the some guy comes out and he's like, oh the X Men they're free and they're trashing everything inside. We can't hold them back. Ah! 
that's when Beast, uh, not being stared at anymore, grabs the two guys that are holding him down and smashes their heads into each other. And, uh, and Beast goes, threatens Mesmero, but then all of a sudden, uh, it looks like his head sets on fire. I, I'm not sure what's happening here, but he screams, Arg and collapses unconscious. Mesmero says, you! It can't be! Ah, oh, but it is Mesmero. I want to know, what did Mystery Off-Panel Man do to Beast? I have a theory that I didn't think about until just now, and it's based on some of the stuff we learn in uh, some of the ancillary issues we'll go over. Okay, okay. So, I like it. Yeah, I'll, we'll wait to discuss that later, I guess, maybe in the classic X-Men portion. I don't want to give too much away. So anyways... The X-Men, uh, well, apparently Mesmero, who t- brought all of the X-Men to the circus here, also brought the X-Men's costumes, because now they are all costumed up. That's right. Yeah, Wolverine, who was tied up to a wall when pretty much naked, somehow found his costume, when, uh, which he had when he burst into Marvel Girl's trailer. Right. Maybe he gathered, well, Phoenix just changes into her costume, so sure. that makes sense. Maybe she... Rest- she flew back to Westchester, got everybody's costumes. And actually, what we don't see is that Wolverine ran back to Westchester in his underwear, got his costume, ran back to wherever they are, then freed Marvel Girl. So weeks have passed. <laughs> Maybe they're still in Westchester. <laughs> that could be. Wait a minute. Is this just another Danger Room episode? <laughs> All right. Anyways... Uh, uh, Nightcrawler, he finally does something here in this issue. He doesn't talk, but he bamps around and, uh, hits people in the head as he teleports. The guy at the end... Yeah, they all have guns now, and he just knocks them off. Yeah, the guy at the end... Bamf, bamf, Even though I know he's holding a baseball bat, just based on the design of it, it looks like a giant Crayola crayon. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why, but that's the first thing that came to me. Burnt sepia? Um... Let's see. They're outnumbered, better 8 to 1, blah, blah, blah. Bottom of the barrel, bruisers gathered from the cheap dives of the four states, whatever that is. These back alley musclemen expect the fight to be a massacre. They're right. Only they end up biting the dust. Doesn't that infer to you that the X-Men are literally killing these people? Well, or making them, to use the colloquial, bite the dust? I don't know. I don't know what "bite the dust" at this point in time means. Because uh, when the Queen song happens, what does it mean then? I'm oh. sure the Queen song isn't about killing a bunch of dudes. When bites the dust, yeah, it's about Queen killing people. <laughs> uh, there's another one who's dead. Another dude. And another one. And another one. All right, maybe not. Maybe you're right. Uh, because in the next panel, Storm says, "Have no fear, Cyclops. None of these creatures will escape." But they're scum, and they're not going to die because the yeah, X-Men don't believe in off. killing. If these motherless scum have gods, they should thank their, them with all their craven hearts. But the X-Men do not believe in killing. Even so, I am sorely tempted. Why is Storm talking like a retarded Englishman? I'm working on something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're getting there? I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to get there. Okay. No. Work it out, man. Work it out. <laughs> So the X-Men handily take care of the circus and they head towards Mesmero's trailer and they burst in. Mesmero is standing there, cape a flutter, and Cyclops says, This is over. 
Are you going to come quietly, or do we take you apart? They say Beast and Phoenix points out that he's just unconscious. Mm -hmm. That's that's a relief. And then Mesmero drops to the ground on top of Beast. Good lord. uh, Yeah, they start doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently that sounds like thomp, 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 thomp. At least that's the sound effect on the uh, page. Well, a man sitting behind a desk in a cliched shadow says, I shouldn't... I shouldn't worry about you, Mesmero. (laughs) If I were you, cut out. (laughs) Oh my god, it's Batman. What's he doing in this? I should instead worry about simply surviving to see tomorrow's sunrise. Lenin's ghost. Alright, I'm not going to keep doing that for this guy. (laughs) But I just wanted to bring back that at one point, Dear listeners, if you remember, we gave somebody that voice. As he turns around, we all realize that the man with the crazy voice and the cliched shadow seat is actually Magneto. Whoa. Yes. We've unfinished business. And you, you and I, if you remember when we last met, I swore that not all your powers nor your skills would save you from my wrath. And they will not. No. No, they won't. I'm Magneto! And that's when... Uh, I gotta be honest, like, this this full-page spread here is it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's a nice, classic John Byrne rendering. Yeah. Uh, and it is nothing like the Magneto issues that precede it that happen uh, outside of the pages of the X-Men, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. But uh, anyways, yeah, this is the end of the issue. Next issue. Two words say it all. Two words that could very well sound the death knell of the X-Men. Magneto triumphant. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Whoa. Magneto triumphant. I feel like we should just keep, keep, keep going on here before we get to the classic portion of it, just to talk about all the things that surround this issue, Adam. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I want to know what's happened to Magneto in between X-Men 104 and 111. Well, I think we can start at um, Super Villain Team-Up number 14. You sure can. <laughs> uh, yes, this is Doctor Doom and Magneto, and I think we can keep this one kind of brief. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we... Probably keep all of these pretty brief. We'll, um, we'll start by saying that it's uh, Bill Mantlo who's doing the story and Bob Hall uh, doing the uh, story, I mean the art. Uh, and then you've got Don Perlin and Duffy Volan doing the inking. Tag team inking. Yeah. Anyways, that's just some names that we recognize from old X-Men stories. Well, at least Bill Mantlo. That's pretty exciting. Oh, one other thing I guess I, I we should mention here, I mean, before we get way into this and before we get all jovial and stuff, in that particular X-Men uh, 111, there was a Marvel bullpen notifying everybody that John Vorporten had passed away. Oh. Yeah. He also added a little bit to the X-Men. A little bit. Yes, I, re- I, I seem to recall at some point learning that he was a very large man, and I don't remember... Where that was from. It was from an issue somewhere. Okay. They mentioned it in like the letters page or something. Well, that's what they said. It's like, and John Vorporten's a very fat man. On with the letters. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, anyways. That's pretty much how it went. He got his props in the Marvel bullpen in X-Men number 111. But anyways, 
enough of that. Uh, Magneto, as uh, uh, magnificent and triumphant and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty uh, villainous looking in X-Men number 111, looks like a character cartoon running through the streets of Latveria. Yeah, this is, I guess we could say that 111 and 112 are, are, are like Magneto makeover issues, whereas everything prior to that are Magneto prior, yeah. prior makeover. He's running through Latveria because I guess he's trying to find Dr. Doom. Everyone's having a celebration because it's Celebrate Dr. Doom Day or something like that. <laughs> Dr. Doom basically has declared that all is well in his kingdom. Yeah. And anyone who there... Uh, would dare say otherwise should should die yeah yeah it's basically a celebration because as we learn throughout the issue dr doom has essentially conquered the world but nobody knows it adam i know it's it's a very strange conquering of the world basically uh there are like particles in the earth or in in the air that everybody has breathed in that now allows doom to take over their minds but I guess he has to, like, uh, snap his fingers or something to make it start. Well, he's got... He has to be in their presence, it seems. He's got neurocanisters that have been releasing this toxin into the atmosphere, and everybody on Earth has breathed it. Uh, because uh, uh, Magneto is coming to Doctor Doom to say, oh, I can crush this world, but I can't subjugate the world. You can subjugate the world, but you can't crush the world, or something like that. And that's when Doctor Doom's like, I've already taken over the world. Just nobody knows it. We get a brief little thing where he says, uh, "How how how do, how does it come to pass that you are a man again and not an infant?" And Magneto gets all embarrassed. What uh, you know even that? And there's nothing new here. I mean, it's the same story that we saw in the X Men. So we don't get any. Yeah, we get some flashbacks. They're always fun. No, the flashbacks are always fun. But there's nothing new here. There's not like, and in the process, I lost my mental powers or. In the process, I could no longer uh, control the lead particles and blood. Uh, We just get the same old story like, Eric the Red showed up and for whatever reason made me into an adult. And then I fought the X-Men. There is a monkey with large ears, though, in both panels. That's his, like, stuffed animal, though. (coughs) Is it a monkey or is it a bear? (laughs) I don't know. It's a bear monkey. It's very cute. (laughs) I don't know about that. Um, and yes, and, uh, whatever. So... While he's been here, I don't know why the rest of the world is affected by this and Magneto wasn't, but uh, now Magneto has inhaled some of this neurotoxin stuff and now his will has been subjugated and he's under the control of Dr. Doom. It's weird. The doctor has to be there to set this thing off. Everybody's been hit by it, Mm. but he, he has to, I don't know. He basically says, defy me, mutant, if you can. And then Magneto says, well, well, I can't. What's going on? So he kind of, it dawns upon him slowly right. that he's under control. And then Doom forces him to use his powers against himself. Which, I mean, it's it's an idea that I, and, it's an idea that I like. I mean, you know, everybody's under somebody's control. They just don't know it until they're be, they're told to do something. And it's at that point they're like, oh. I'm what not... I find amusing is that this whole thing is driven, as we find out early in the issue, by Dr. Doom's boredom. Yeah, well... It's just like, I'm so bored. I'm going to take... to do? I'm going to make a neurotoxin to take over the world. 
Well, so he orders Magneto to kill himself. Magneto does hurl some uh, axes and maces and swords at himself. But at the last minute, Dr. Doom commands himself to allow Magneto to shield himself from those very weapons. And that's proof enough that Magneto is in Dr. Doom's power. Dr. Doom gives some wine to Magneto and they they make a toast. And uh, Dr. Doom reveals that the wine had a antidote in the uh to the neurotoxin inside inside of it and it also knocked magneto unconscious and apparently dr doom did not drink his own wine which will right come in later <laughs> right so then um meanwhile at the event well hours later at the uh mansion so, so i don't know where latveria is in relation to the avengers mansion but I imagine it's more than several hours later, but it depends on how you're traveling. Or, I mean, he's traveling by magnetic currents. Yeah, so he flies pretty darn fast. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's being chased by the stranger again. Actually, it does say that Doctor Doom drinks from this. Well, that's 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 flawed. Um, maybe he put the antidote powder only in. It says a mild drug released into your drink when we touched goblets. Well, in the in the previous panel, it says. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so, the, so the cup... It was inside the goblet, maybe. Yes, correct. Okay. So Magneto shows up at Avengers Mansion because he wants to spread the word that uh, um, that Doctor Doom controls everything. Right. This is... Doctor Doom is just kind of seeing what happens. I'm going to set only one man in the world free, and now the board is set, the battle has begun, and I'm going to see what happens. This is very exciting. Because I'm bored. Yes. Uh, the Avengers assemble. Uh, the lineup includes Thor, Iron Man, Beast, Captain America, Wonder Man in the gayest suit you've ever seen, uh, Ant-Man or Yellow Jacket or whatever he is, uh, Vision, and Scarlet Witch. And they attack. Indeed. And Scarlet Witch rips open the floor. It's quite exciting. Yeah. Magneto basically takes the, well, he, he attacks them all. He attacks them all and knocks them back. Beast thinks to himself, Maggie's tossing our way our big three like non-returnable Coke bottles. <laughs> I hope he doesn't realize that I'm the Beast because I'm an old X-Man and he hates X-Men. X-Men. X-Men are the men that he hates the most. <laughs> they fight. Wonder Man apparently has the power to make his blood flow reversed, which I don't understand what that does or what that means. He uses, remember in the previous X-Men 104, he trapped uh, Banshee by uh, forming, uh, taking the, the ferrous particles from the very air itself and crushing Banshee. He uses that again against Wasp and oh. Yellow Jacket, which is a nice callback, but this time he creates bubbles around them so they don't get killed. They have air inside. Okay. It's neat that he reuses his power, though. Yes. I, I like it. Kind of blew past that. I I get that. I I understand now. And so it's uh so I got confused. Well, the other thing that I want to mention here mm -hmm. is that he let's see. Well, at some point he he mentions that he once had the power to take over men's minds in the Avengers. What does he mean? That was what did, I thought it was cool that he he references that. When does he say that? I don't know. I'm looking for it. I know where it is. You're just giving away the spoilers, Adam. 
Oh, I thought we already passed it. Nope. <laughs> oh, okay. So the Avengers eventually knock Magneto back. Uh, Magneto's trying to tell them about Doctor Doom's plan, and that's when Doctor Doom's uh, uh, illusion shows up and commands all of the Avengers to do things and be in his power, uh, and everybody is under his control except for Beast. Well, Beast is is under his control too. Oh, right, right, you're right. But then Doctor Doom says, "I will, I will permit you to." Choose one Avenger that you can free from my neural gas, and he'll be your ally, and Magneto Some... chooses Beast. And the key lies in the weakest Avenger. Come, Beast. So he takes the Beast with him, they get on the Quinjet, and that's when Magneto says, It is long since I utilized my own ability to control minds by regulating the flow of iron-laden blood to the brain. Perhaps by a similar process, I can nullify the effects of Doom's chemically induced control. Blah, blah, blah. That means that he, he's had this power all along and he just never uses it. Yes. So uh, my theories about like how Magneto's powers, maybe like his magnetic control was enhanced, but all of these mental controls and telepathies and all these other things would go away. It's not the case. No, he totally navigates beast's mind sort of and so this leads me to back to x-men number 111 when the mystery character uses some sort of beam to knock beast out i'm guessing he used this blood trick again or or whatever the iron laden blood of the brain to knock beast out and then eventually get to mesmero and is that the last appearance of this ability (laughs) (laughs) i i don't know I don't recall ever seeing it again, but whatever. We'll we'll see. Well, they immediately go to the Fantastic Four to see if they can get help with them, but unfortunately they're out of planet, off planet, and the X-Men are also off planet. So he says, well, we checked all the heavy hitters. Let's, let's go check out my old X-Buddies in the Champions. And that's when they head off to Los Angeles and they run into Angel, Ghost Rider, Iceman, Hercules... Black Widow and Blonde Girl. Yeah, I don't remember what her name is, but we'll find out next issue. (laughs) Yes. Which is Champions number 16. (gasps) Champions number 16. The Blonde Girl does not get a mention on the cover. (laughs) This issue is Bill Mantlo, Bob Hall, M. Esposito is inking, Denise Wall lettering, Phil Rach is coloring, Archie Goodwin's still in there, and... uh, Beast and uh, Magneto descend upon the Avengers, I'm sorry, the champions, much more violently in this panel than they did in the last panel. The Iceman says, the Avengers that alerted us said you joined Magneto, stolen a Quinjet beast. What the heck? Wait a minute. Does that mean that throughout this period of time where Peter Gyrick came along and said, don't use government property, Beast stole two Quinjets? No, no, this this takes place before that happened. Oh, okay. Maybe we're this jumping is... all over the time stream all right, right now. Right, we're right, we're right. totally crossing the stream. You're right. This takes place before X-Men 111. My bad. My bad. All right. Yeah, so they show up and the champions are like, nothing doing. You guys are bad. The Avengers told us so and we're going to fight. Right on. And so there's a lot of fighting that goes on and maybe we get the blonde girl's name. Let's see. Uh, not this page. It's brother against brother when Iceman and Beast fight. 
But Iceman pulls back a little bit, which makes Hercules kind of angry. Uh, but Hercules punches uh, Magneto at some point. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's a lot just of fighting. It's just fighting and crazy fighting. fighting. Lots and lots of fighting. And, uh... and then Magneto says, well, this is pointless. Let's go to Washington because, oh, as uh, um, Magneto was punched by Hercules, he lands in a car and on the radio it says, festive mood here in the nation's capital as Majesty Victor Von Doom arrives. Uh, uh, President Carter is now welcoming. And so they decide to take off uh, in the middle of this fight to Washington. What? Doom is amusing himself with fawning subservient politicians? He dares to ignore Magneto? He dares belittle our conflict? I've wasted time seeking allies. I will now do what I should have done all along. Fight Doom myself. Come along, Come along. Come along. Roof, roof. So he makes a little magna ball and flies them off towards Washington. Uh, and a blonde girl says, well, the first thing, apparently they have a champ's craft. I just <laughs> wanted to point that out. I wanted to mention that too. What the heck do you think a champ's craft looks like? I don't know. I'm sure we'll find out in the pages of the champions oh at some point. God. But they decide not to use the champ's craft because why would you want to? Why would you? And, uh, <laughs> They create a dark star. A blonde girl creates a dark star, and they all hop inside and fly across. And we get a panel of Jimmy Carter and uh, a bunch of members of Congress and and the army and all sorts of stuff telling Beast about what a great or uh, telling Doctor Doom what a great leader he is because they're all under the sway of his amazing toxin. All of us here are praying you'll succeed in uniting this strife-torn world to endeavor in the woods of Bob Dill. Silence. Is your... Silence, I hate Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan is not rock and roll. I know him only as Zimmerman. <laughs> and he says, uh, yeah, so they're all subjugated. Yeah, he's basically like, you guys suck. So he calls the Hulk. The Hulk joins the 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 fray uh, to, I guess, be like Doctor Doom's bodyguard, which is a great idea, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, why why would you not want the Hulk on your side? Hulk will do as man says, but Hulk doesn't know why. <laughs> Hulk's awesome. <laughs> Magneto and Beast finally show up uh, and wrap the tank around Hulk for a little while, and then the champions show up and. Hulk bursts free, and there's some fighting, and Hulk and Hercules end up fighting, which I would, if I cared about Hercules, I would be like, yeah, I want to see that, but I don't, so we're moving on. How does Magneto push Hulk backwards with his magnetic powers? Yeah, I was wondering that. uh, Magneto does a lot of lifting of people. I think he lifts Hercules, too. I guess Hulk has, like... The buttons on his jeans are still there. <laughs> sure. I don't know. Hulk will not be tossed around. Hulk is mad. And that's when you get your dumb battle you were just talking about. And so we move on. Uh, we get, let's see, Ghost Rider is the only one who... Okay, Doctor Doom finally starts control. I guess the champions were not under his control up until this point. They right. were just listening to the Avengers who were under his control. But now Dr. Doom says, okay, attack Magneto. And all the champions start to attack Magneto, except 
for Ghost Rider, mm-hmm. who has, I guess, doesn't have a soul or something. Oh, he can't breathe. He doesn't breathe. He, he doesn't breathe. Right. Therefore, he can't get the toxin, and he's like, well, wait a minute. Why are the champions listening to Doctor Doom? This doesn't make any sense. And so he joins Magneto and Beast, and then the champions get mad that Ghost Rider is uh, taking their side, and so they all fight Ghost Rider now. Angel flies Beast around, another brother-on-brother fight. Not much really happens with it. (laughs) Magneto lifts the tank. This is the tank, which I guess it must be a different tank because this one's cannon is fixed. Mm Mm-hmm. He throws it at Dr. Doom, but Dr. Doom has a force field. Yes, and some more fighting happens. Oh, how does this end? <laughs> uh, let's see. Dr. Doom commands some civilians to start attacking Ghost Rider, and Ghost Rider's like, oh, the Ghost Rider side of me wants to kill them, but the Johnny Blaze side is convincing me not to. What do I do? Beast is worried about being dropped by Angel, but then he realizes he's directly above Dr. Doom, so he knocks Angel out with a fist punch, and they all drop on top of Dr. Doom, who says, You dolt! (laughs) Your monumental ignorance, Beast, has just cost you your life! That's when Ghost Rider shoots Hellfire onto Dr. Doom's helmet, Dr. Doom has to remove his helmet because he's worried about his face getting on fire. My face, curse you, demon. And suddenly, without the air filters in my mask, I'll inhale my own neurogas. And that's when it just gets kind of silly. (laughs) Dr. Doom is now under the control of Dr. Doom. Yeah, and one other thing we haven't uh, mentioned throughout this whole comic is Beast has really reverted into a lot of slang and lazy English. He keeps referring to Magneto as either Maggie or Mags or things of that nature. He's using a lot of contractions and just lazily speaking. It's very out of character for him, in my opinion. But yes, moving on. Uh, Dr. Doom is now under the control of Dr. Doom. And for whatever reason, everybody else comes out of Dr. Doom's control because of this. I'm not yeah. I'm sure there's logic in there somewhere, but to me... Doesn't make too much sense. Well, I guess maybe because Doctor Doom has not focusing his control on them. No, none of it makes well, any sense. They try to explain it in the next page. I'll I'll, I'll read it when we get there. But I mean, it basically, seems it seems Magneto... like at, well, it seems like at this point, like since Mag or since Doctor Doom is under the control of Doctor Doom and everybody else is under the control of Doctor Doom, like he'd be like, oh man, anytime he wanted a sandwich, like everybody in the world would like just start making sandwiches and start trying to find Dr. Doom to find him. Cause like he wouldn't be hell bunt on war. He'd just be like living out his life, but not understanding why everyone's like, have a sandwich. Here's the remote control, etc. And he'd be like, I want to get the remote control myself. <laughs> no, take it easy. <laughs> Anyways. Yes. I want to take it easy. I must follow the rule of Dr. Doom. Uh, Magneto realizes that A, he's surrounded by heroes who have now restored themselves and B, that Dr. Doom is lost, so he scrams. He says, I could smash your once uh, companions with ease and yet the desire to do so is not with me. I don't know why. I have one! Yeah, it's all talk. And he leaves. (laughs) And then he sits down and rides away. It's kind of funny. He's like, right, he's sitting on an invisible seat it looks like like an invisible horse 
Magneto? The Beast? What's going on here? What are we all doing in Washington? I don't know, Warren, says the Beast, because he has forgotten everything. Has he? As Magneto withdraws his mental control over Beast's mind, Hank McCoy once more succumbs to Doom's neurogas, a gas that is still in the atmosphere, subjugating the will of all who inhale it to the will of Dr. Doom, including a normal breathing Johnny Blaze, and it would seem himself, and it would seem Victor Von Doom himself. Doom commands, but I am Doom. Command! And I must obey. Yet, why does Doom not command? Why? That, I don't know. Bad writing. Gaze, gaze upon the man who rules the world, and yet who is incapable of ruling himself. Next issue, Sentinels. Whoa! Oh, the Sentinels survive? So, my question, uh, I mean, at some point, not that this is the uh, Doctor Doom cast, but... There's going to be a story in which he gets out of his own control. I mean, there has to be, right? Like a flashback where, while I was trying to find my identity, I tripped and fell in the ocean. It just took that little breeze of water to rinse the neurotoxin out of my body. Or does this neurotoxin eventually just leave the atmosphere and everybody's fine? Or today in the Marvel Universe, is still everybody under Dr. Doom's control, but nobody realizes it? Those are all great questions. <laughs> okay. I'm assuming that the answers are in... Supervillain team up number fifteen. Okay, I, I guess the whole idea of supervillain team up is that it's somebody teaming up with Doctor Doom. Oh, really? Yeah, you know the way that team up is yeah. usually Spider Man or Human Torch. Hmm. Interesting. I think supervillain team up is either Namor or Doctor Doom. All right. I think I could have just totally made that up. Well, anyway. Well. Final appearance of Magneto between 104 and 111 is Captain America Annual Number Four. Yeah, it's an old school tale. It's uh, it's written, drawn, and edited by good old Jack Kirby, which is interesting. I mean, he doesn't usually get a chance to write, or maybe he does. I don't know. And inked by Verporten, who we just mentioned, and Tartaglioni. Maybe Tartaglioni had to come in because Verporten died in the middle of this issue. Oh, man, that's awful. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, though. This is 1977, so probably not. Um, Yeah, I, I didn't really read this, so you're going to have to cover this one. But it is very, very typical, classic Jack Kirby artistry. It's kind of a cool sci-fi story to it, but it's not a very good Magneto story. Um, I do like... What did I? Um, I'm sorry. Carry on. It cuts right into the action where Magneto and Captain America are are meeting because they both read a letter in the newspaper that said it's, it was a want ad. Unique and talented mutant seeks home environment and care from concerned and sensitive persons or agencies equipped to help. So basically, Magneto and Captain America answered a want ad. That is the level of storytelling we are going to get. <laughs> Yeah, the dialogue, I don't even know what the story's about, to be honest with you. The dialogue is kind of sketchy, in my opinion. The story is that this guy discovered a mutant, uh, two mutants, actually. Oh, one right. who is a, he calls uh, number one, I think. Mr. One. Mr. One and Mr. Two. And Mr. One is tiny, and he fits inside of a watch, and he doesn't ever move. Mm -hmm. He just breathes. And Mr. Two 
is a big, uh, bigger than Magneto, uh, kind of like a thing monster type thing. Typical Jack Kirby monster, I guess. So I guess Magneto wants Mr. One, so he's going to reach out for him. And as he does so, that's when Mr. Two comes out and rips Magneto's mask, just smooshes it. Yeah, he just like crushes his head with a big mm-hmm. crunch. Magneto barely escapes, and he's he's mad. So it turns out that uh, Mr. Two is very protective of Mr. One. So Captain America takes them to S.H.I.E.L.D., where they are tested, and the Mr. One and Mr. Two get bored and decide that they need to get out. So Cap takes them for a jog, and we get, we get to see Magneto with his new team of mutants. I don't know if this is the Brotherhood or whatever. I don't know if these people ever appear again. You got a you got a dude named Peeper, a guy with big eyes named Peeper, uh, a a snake guy named Slither, a big um, armed man whose name is Lifter, some guy uh, with like get... claw hands whose name is Burner. No, Burner is the 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 French guy in the yellow suit with the, the oh. mustache. Well, who's this guy in the purple outfit with the claws? I don't remember his name, but I think we'll find it out. Meanwhile, we'll just call him Claw Hands. <laughs> yeah. And the jogging scene is just hilarious looking, in my opinion. Uh, so, Burner, they get, they get attacked by all these second-rate villains, and Burner throws some fire around them, and Slither attacks Captain America. And they manage to, let's see, here's Claw Hands, what's his name? Shocker. His name is Shocker. Oh. Guess what he does. Not uh, not Spider-Man's villain, Shocker, but somebody else. Well, he shocks people. He does. And he shocks Mr. Two, apparently, to death. Oh, my God. Mr. Two is dead. And Cap realizes here at this point that Mr. One and Mr. Two are actually the same person and that they share a consciousness. Now Mr. One is dying, and Magneto has kidnapped... This was like a a, a diversion so that Magneto could kidnap Mr. One, which he does, because he needs a tiny little man in order to navigate a tiny spaceship that he has got from an auction or something like that. An auction. Okay. That he... uh, I guess the his little team broke into an Air Force base and stole this tiny spaceship, which Magneto thinks holds the uh, the, the the secrets of the galaxy. Sure. This is, yeah. It's powered by the infinite improbability drive, I think. Oh, yes. <laughs> it can be everywhere at once. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Two is still alive, I guess. Uh, but barely, and Mr. One is also dying now because they're both, they're, without one, the other will die, and Mr. Two is pretty much dying. So he uses his last breath to track down where they are. Mr. Peepers, with his amazing peepers, sees them coming <laughs> yeah. using his binocular vision. We even get peeper vision. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mr. Two and Captain America attack these guys. There's some fighting. Mr. Peepers, it turns out, his eyes are can also turn into 
maximum telescopic vision is releases lethal beams. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, Mister One can move. Who I I didn't think he could move, but whatever. Now he can. Now he can. He's walking around the spaceship, and he manages to to make a long story short, as Captain America is fighting, he manages to self destruct the spaceship, sacrificing his life, ruining Magneto's plans. Magneto escapes mm-hmm. uh, on, in a trapdoor in the floor. The explosion presumably kills everybody, uh, all of his henchmen. Is I, I don't know. Do we ever see these guys again? I, I hope not. Never seen those people ever, except for Peeper. I hope he comes back, <laughs> and he might because Captain America sent him into the basement before this explosion. There's Peeper might return. There is no sign of Magneto, but Cap knows that somewhere he's alive and plotting another brand of mischief with which to plague Cap's dreams. So, an interesting tale, yes, but, uh, I don't know, a little long, a little sketchy, a little out of time, too. It's like, I think Jack Kirby's like, well, I want to write this story and I want to use some established characters, but... I don't want it to affect anything. So here's Magneto and a bunch of stupid villains, and I'll kill them all at the end of the story. Not the best. It was a fun story, but yeah, it just doesn't, definitely doesn't really fit in anything. So meanwhile, I mean, the only, the only other thing left to cover here is the mystery phone call that brought Beast to the carnival in the first place. And that's Marvel team up number 69. 69, 69. <laughs> this one is Night of the Living God. This one's written by Chris Claremont and with pencils by John Byrne. This is sounding mm, interesting. This is featuring Spider-Man and Havoc. And on the cover you have Havoc and I think the living Pharaoh shooting Spider-Man. This cover is misleading. A little bit. <laughs> it's a Cockrum cover too, by the way. Oh, wow. Well, we did say that he was becoming Marvel's cover guy. It's not a bad cover. It's just misleading. Yeah. So we get to pick up pretty much where we wanted to pick up in issue 110, where we got an off panel. Oh, yeah, they're on Mirror Island. They're fine. Don't worry about them, Scott. Carry on. Yeah, turns out they are on Mirror Island, and they're just going for a walk. And we see some... Suits Alex Summers and Lorda Dane equally well. Today, they've been through hell this past year. They've come to Muir Isle for some time and solitude they need to recover. And we see some uh, guys that we recognize as regular listeners of the Danger Room podcast. Some red-cloaked-headed guys that look like they came out of Egypt and are probably living pharaoh goons. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're just kind of reminiscing, and uh, they're talking about how Jamie Madrox and Moira are in Edinburgh for the weekend, so apparently they're dating now or something. What, how did we learn it was pronounced Edinburgh? Oh, or was oh it man. Edinburgh? What did I Edinburgh. say? I don't know. I think you said Borough. Edinburgh. 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 Yeah, yeah we got to get that right. Edinburgh. For the weekend, and they have the island all to themselves, and Havoc is glad, because you know what that yeah. means. 
The issue is number 69, after all. Am I right? Am I right? Yuck, yuck. Oh, anyways. Uh, they've been cleaning up the lab since Magneto left. Apparently he... That's not all they've been cleaning up. <laughs> all right, I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they get attacked by the Pharaoh dudes, and um, they have that little ship that they had, too. Yep. That's cool. And they come blasting down. Uh, Moira's like... Or not Moira. Lorna is like... Hey, what? Are, who are those people? And Havok is like, I don't know. Like, really? The most significant thing that's happened of your teenage life, and you don't know? But then, in the, in the very in the balloon beneath, he says, "Wait a minute. Those are Egyptian. Those headdresses are Egyptian." Lorna, I know these guys. <laughs> I don't They're know. Wearing the same outfits as the living pharaoh's old mob. The other thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense here is that previously you see. Um, Havoc releasing his power at these goons, and he's in his plane clothes. But from this height from the airplane here, or the whatever, the Pharaoh cruiser, it looks like he's in his Havoc costume. I think he's wearing his Havoc costume under his clothes. I mean, we are familiar that this happens a lot. <laughs> Where does headpiece come from? Um, he's in his pocket. I wish they would really explain that. Like, look, we can just do this. <laughs> Well, it, okay, if you if you look at the panel where he blasts the two guys, oh. it's like hanging behind him. So um, the uh, the headpiece is like a hood. It's like a hoodie. You're right because in the in the panel previous, as Havoc unleashes, it does look like his clothes explode off of him. So it all makes sense. He does mention that he has a lot more control than he used to have of his power. So he's not worried about it. And he's not going to kill anybody, and he won't even hurt him much, but he's going to teach him a lesson. So this means that Alex wears his costume all the time. Because yeah. he's not fighting on the team. He's in Muir Island to rest and relax and recoup from their year's adventures of being under Eric the Red's powers. Yet every day he still wears the costume. It's a stinky costume. <laughs> uh, okay. Lorna apparently does not wear that costume because she never bursts into hers, but... Uh, she rips apart all the metal and... Uh, she says, I may not be Magneto's daughter, but that doesn't mean I'm a pushover. Wait, she's not Magneto? part of the craft. She's not Magneto's daughter? No, we determined that she wasn't. That's right, I forgot about Ice that. Iceman was like, I went all the way into your hometown's uh, city council files. <laughs> I went to the library and I found out... This is not your birth certificate, and your dad's name is Eric. <laughs> Eric Lensher, not Magneto, so case closed. Father's not Magneto. Moving on. Uh, eventually, another, Mag or, um, I guess, Pharaoh cruiser comes along and wraps him up in some sort of foil tape. All right, they need to take uh, uh, Havoc alive, but they realize that they can easily knock uh, Lorna off the cliff. And that throws Havoc kind of off his game, and they're able to catch him with a, uh, a, a what, is, what do they call it? The special bolo that neutralizes his powers. Yeah, hey, listen to me, please. If Lorna isn't rescued soon, she'll drown. I swear I won't give you guys trouble. Just help her, please. And they're like, no. <laughs> when you have one tiger by the tail stripling, you do not release it so that it can go looking for its mate. That's okay. As they're, so, as they're flying away in the Pharaoh cruiser, we do see a hand burst out of the water and pull itself up on the rocks. So, 
Chances are she's But it's not attached to a body. It's just a hand. <laughs> it's bloody. Uh, it's... Meanwhile, Peter Parker is working at some random chemical lab when it happens that more feral guys are stealing a uh, secret onk from the chemical lab. And Spider-Man decides, lo and behold, to get involved. Yeah. And he does. Yep. And he takes... Uh, t- he. He follows along, or he puts a spider tracer on the little Pharaoh cruiser, and he... Uh, he gets he... stuck in the door by his own webbing. It's really embarrassing. Meanwhile, back on Muir Island, Lorna crawls her way back to the house and calls the mansion. Nobody's there. And so then she figures... Actually, she calls a couple different places. Well... Because she... there's like three different panels. Maybe she's calling three different places in the mansion. I don't know. They probably have one phone line that goes to all three phone systems. Oh, okay. Remember when they had the telephone guy there? That's what he was supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> so when they finally... That's the problem. Yeah, when they finally beat him, like the real telephone guy came and fixed up all the telephones. That was just... All of that was a setup for this page right here. She mentions that Cerebro acts as a uh, answering machine mm-hmm. when they're not home. That's kind of cool. Sure. Professor X invented the answering machine. <laughs> she, but for some reason, Cerebro is off, as we know. Somebody has turned Cerebro off. She doesn't get it. Somebody should be home. Well, there's one, only one other person that can help her. Please, God, let him be there. She apparently does not have the number of the champions. Nope. She calls the Beast, because apparently the Beast has left everybody his private line at the Avengers Mansion. And he's cooking marshmallows over a fire with his feet. Yes, he is. Hiya, Lorna. Long time no seen. How are you and Alex? What? I'll handle things from this end. Meanwhile, you take care of yourself. It won't do it all to bring Alex home in triumph to find you dying of pneumonia. So he takes off and he bumps into Thor and Thor says, Hey, beast, uh, where goest thou? Hast thou forgot? That we are on standby alert, which is basically because, as I mentioned, people are disappearing and the X and the Avengers are worried about it. And Iron Man has them split up into particular teams doing particular things. But B says, no way, man. I got to I got to do my thing. A beast has got to do what a beast has got to do. And it's actually referred to in Avengers 172. uh, Jan, uh, the wasp, says. The Beast got a mysterious phone call, then ran out of us. He took a Quinjet despite Guy Rich's order and flew off. Hmm. That idiot! That's a federal offense! Thor here is a lot less passive about it and says, Passing strange, the Beast deserts his post, then takes a Quinjet that federal agent Guy Rich hath forbidden us to use. Tis most unlike him! His words were jocular. Yeah, so this is where I was like, Guy Rick, Federal agent Guy Rick? Wait a minute, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's that it's that guy. It's that guy I know about. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man spots sees the Quinjet takeoff and this is the last we see of Beast in this issue. And and as we know, he goes to the mansion and he forgets about Havoc and goes after the X-Men. Uh Spider-Man has lost track of the spider tracer, but it turns it turns out that he doesn't need it because he sees an ambulance with some pharaohs driving it which he follows. They start unloading Havoc from the ambulance, and Spider-Man recognizes Havoc. 
and attacks the Pharaoh guys, lets Havoc free. It's one thing about the Marvel Universe I've always kind of questioned is that it always seems that when they're about to fight, they don't recognize one another. But when it's this type of situation, they're like, I recognize him. He's Havoc. You know that X-Men that's like been an X-Men twice and I've never seen anywhere? I don't know. It just seems like Havoc does not have enough popularity that Spider-Man would know who he is, you know? Well, there was that time in Latveria when Spider-Man and Havoc team up, teamed up. We didn't cover that issue. Did that really happen? No. Oh, because <laughs> that would have made sense, but now you're just lying to me. I'm totally lying. I'm a lying liar. You're a jerk. Well, Spider-Man swings in and kicks a bunch of these pharaoh dudes in the face, and he frees Havoc. Spider-Man's all like, die for cover, pal. I'll try to draw their fire. Havoc's all like, in a word, Spider-Man? No! Followed by several other words. <laughs> and these animals killed the woman I love, and now they're going to pay for it, as only Havoc can make them pay. Let loose the dogs of war and cry Havoc! Presumably he kills a dude, and he kills some more dudes. The living pharaoh shows up, and uh, yeah, it's it's him in his onion-headed costume, and he shoots both Havoc and Spider-Man, and knocks Spider-Man through a wall, and there's a woman here who shows up for two panels who never has another appearance in the next two issues. It's hmm. She says, Allah, praise, preserve me! It's Spider-Man, but what... Why, how, he lays so still, almost as if he were, oh, Allah, no, he can't. Yes, you're right, and then we never see her again. Very mysterious. I wonder if she's like a Marvel team-up regular or something. She's got to be referenced in future issues of Marvel team-up, because I don't know her from anywhere else. Or past issues? Who knows? Uh, It turns out that the Ankh that the Pharaoh guys stole was used to nullify uh, Havoc's powers. A pharaoh guy throws, like, as Havoc and the living pharaoh are facing off with their powers, which are pretty much equal, mm-hmm. the pharaoh guy sneaks up, throws the necklace around Havoc, who then is uh, essentially knocked unconscious. Although he is conscious, he just he's helpless. This is uh, where we, I also get an idea of a passage of time, as Havoc says, times have changed since we last met. I'm no kid anymore. Oh yeah, I know what my power is and what it can do. No longer afraid of it or afraid to use it. So I don't know, we've had some discrepancies as to how old are these guys anyways. 24. Sure. Sounds reasonable. They lock uh, Havoc into a very similar cage to the one that he was in in X-Men 56 or whatever. It takes him a while to get him locked, though. I mean, it's like partially open because Spider-Man shows up and keeps the thing open. All right, but they're they're trying to explain that this casing doesn't cut off you, cut you off from the cosmic rays like the previous one did. This one absorbs the cosmic rays, amplifies it, and broadcasts it to the Pharaoh, making him stronger than he's ever been, been even when he was super strong. So he, yep. So he turns into basically the living Pharaoh. But not giant living pharaoh yet. And he's got the dumb costume, the the silvery thing, which Spider-Man even uh, comments on and says, I've seen some oddball outfits, but yours takes the cake. Are you trying out for The Wiz or Star Wars 2? 
Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> That's a dig. So I don't know if Spider-Man was rescued by the woman that mysteriously disappeared. But interestingly enough, in the in that same panel that you just read, uh, we get the living pharaoh's tongue mm -hmm. reappearing. Remember his tongue had a nice appearance in that uh, prior appearance of his in X-Men? I do. This is not as good as that tongue, though. I feel like it's an homage to the tongue, though. I do. Uh, there's more homages in this issue, too. I, I agree. Maybe that the tongue is an homage. So, a living Pharaoh and Spider-Man, they fight. They do, in fact, fight, and Spider-Man knocks uh, Pharaoh onto the top of the casket, which uh, was being held open by Spider-Man's webbing, but the uh, webbing doesn't break, but the ceiling breaks. Mm -hmm. So, the thing closes, trapping Cyclops, or uh, Cyclops' brother, rather, inside the casket which sets into motion the transformation of the living phoenix to the living monolith. And now he's gigantic again, and the costume makes a little more sense. Professor Abdul, who called himself the living pharaoh, is no more in his place. Is the living monolith walks the earth once more? And this definitely looks like an homage to the same panel in, I don't know, 57 or... Yeah, it's it's uh, it's like the cover. Yes. Yep. Of Living Pharaoh bursting through the uh, ground in his costume, and his mouth and his eyes are all aflame. And I don't know who he was holding on that cover, but in this cover, or in this picture, he's obviously holding Spider-Man. Wasn't he holding the logo? Oh yeah, yeah. He was ripping apart the logo, right? Yeah. Okay. Very similar to that. Yeah, it's a good call. Good call. Yeah. So, anyways, no power on earth can save you. And that's when we have to go and frickin' read the next Marvel team-up. Marvel... Number 70, When Walks the Living Monolith, Who Gods Destroy, again by the same team, except now we got Tony D. Zuniga as the inker. Yeah, and this is, a uh, last one was Spider-Man and uh, Havoc, this one is Spider-Man and Thor. So more Thor, less Havoc. And in this one, uh... The living pharaoh is doing his best Godzilla impression as he storms through New York, destroying all the buildings in his path as he holds Fay Ray, I mean Spider-Man, in his hands. Spider-Man does have the complexion of Fay Ray. <laughs> I love Spider-Man attempts to stop him with some webbing, but no. Nope. It's... Grade A webbing, and he tore it like it was tissue paper. Mm-hmm. He keeps trying to put webbing on his face, but that's no good, and yeah, he's just... Throwing them around. What's going on here? Um, oh, there's a little there's a little spoiler here uh, on the second panel. It says X Men monthly in May on the news billboard. Oh, it does. I didn't even notice that in my first read through. Where's, oh yeah, page oh, page. Oh, that. There's a little hidden uh, hidden spoiler for those true X Men fans. You're like really? <laughs> this is where Thor shows up, and uh, he and Spider Man now. Take on the living monolith. Yeah, so Thor saves Spider-Man's life because Spider-Man was tossed aside. Apparently, living monolith can walk on air. He almost crushes some cars and some people are scared, but he says, bah, only mortals are forced to walk the earth. A god may walk the sky. And Thor attacks him and he smashes Thor and Spider-Man says, hey, Thor, over here, we need to rescue this Havoc guy. That'll save us. 
and then Thor throws his hammer at the casket, to which the living monolith says, hey, there's a, that, that casing is booby-trapped. If you smash it, the boy will die, and his universe's shake, shaking power will be mine forever. Why didn't he just kill Havoc? <laughs> I don't know. Confused. I like this panel where um, Spider-Man grabs a hold of uh, Thor's hammer, and he's just getting a ride by the hammer. He gets a ride for like two whole pages here. Yeah, this this like a uh, couple of panels. I would. It kind of made me wish that Spider-Man could appear in an Avengers movie because I would like to see this. Oh man, that'd be awesome! It would be a really cool scene in a movie. Thor throws his hammer. Spider-Man's like, "Oh sure," and takes a ride and gets whipped all over the place. That could be some good comedic action scene right there. That would be awesome. Thor uh, uses his power to bring the hammer back to him, which causes Spider-Man to follow. And do a loop-de-loop back on himself. Yeah, man, and like... Thor catches Spider-Man. You don't even need to write anything. It's choreographed right here. Here's your storyboard. Too bad Spider-Man's not owned by Marvel. <laughs> or at least the movie rights, anyways. Yeah. Well, anyways, they uh, they take off back to get some more living monolith who is now walking over the water and picking up boats and smashing them. Right, Thor throws his hammer into his back, causing him to land under a boat, which Thor then, it appears that Thor, oh, he throws the boat at Thor, and then Thor smashes part of it. And Spider-Man goes about his business. For some reason, he needs binoculars, so he borrows it from some people uh, in, in New York who I guess are on their honeymoon, Martha and George. Yep. Just uh, yeah, they're being touristy. Yep, they put a quarter in the binocular machine, and now Spider-Man has stolen that quarter. Not sure why this scene needs to take place at all. Yeah, they're like, we got twenty-four pages we need to burn. Let's uh, let's just put one here. So I guess Spider-Man must have spotted Havoc with the binoculars. Not sure why. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, let's assume that's what happened. Sure. He punches out the pharaoh guards who are moving Havoc because they need to move the body because they, you know, it's smart. They want to make sure that nobody ever uncovers it. Spider-Man tries to figure out the booby trap. And he There's does. more fighting. But he finds it uh, immediately. He says, uh, first things first, let's see if I can find the booby trap. Bingo! Right. Like, there's no build-up to it at all. There it is. Found it. Now he's got to deactivate it. So there's we oh, get a okay. we, we get a cool little scene where he's like, he he's going to reach for the wires and he's like, well that one I get spider sense for. Yeah. I won't pull that one. Oh, this one I also get spider sense for. Here here's, okay, this one I don't get a spider sense for. for I'm gonna pull this wire. It, it doesn't work. I'm sorry, Havoc, <laughs> but it totally works. Which is I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah. Yep. Good use of spider sense. Good use of pages, too. It takes a while to get to that point. He eventually gets it. And uh, uh, Havoc unleashes his power and yells, Pharaoh! Or... Is that him yelling Pharaoh, or is it a sound effect? (laughs) Or it makes the sound effect of, Pharaoh! Pharaoh! (laughs) (laughs) Can't tell which. Uh, anyways, uh, as Havok gets his powers back, the living monolith's powers kind of withdraw and the living monolith blinks out of existence. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what happens to him. Uh, they rescue some people that were doing stuff. They all get together. 
Thou art a true comrade, Spider-Man, indeed, if, if, it be, if it be by thine actions that Havoc is free. Spider-Man calls Thor Blondie. That's kind of funny. And this is when Havoc is like, yeah, he'll be back again. You can count on it. Oh my God, Lorna! I had totally forgotten about her. Somebody get me back to the island. But he thought she was dead in the last issue, so I guess he's over that. Yeah. I'm gonna... she, might, she might still be alive. It could be. Could be. Could be. Spider-Man tells Thor where Muir Island is. I guess Thor doesn't know, and Thor says, well, we can't take any of the vehicles, but I'm a friend of Tony Stark, so he'll be home by nightfall. This didn't really make much sense. Like, why doesn't Thor just fly him there? Well, that would take a long time, and yeah. Thor's got to stay around for his duty. And know Spider-Man that the son of Odin shall ever count thee among those he calls his friend. Next, as Chris and John take time off to begin the new monthly X-Men, <gasps> what? a brand new creative team brings you some sort of stuff that we're not going to talk about. Called Death Garden. Death Garden. <laughs> Alrighty, well, that was a heck of a summation of what's happened surrounding X-Men number 111. No kidding. <clears throat> And There's it, a lot of issues to talk about this month and this week. And it's not over yet because we have yet to do the classic craptacular spectacular. But yeah, we're uh, we're definitely we'll try to make this one short. There isn't a whole lot to talk about, to be fair. I do have a couple of things to say about that. Um, as yes, yeah, so this well, it's classic X Men number seventeen. Uh, as I mentioned before. Um, this was the very first classic X-Men that I purchased off of a newsstand. It was from my local comic book shop. And there's a very specific and adolescent reason as to why I purchased this particular issue. And we'll get into that as we get into the backup story. <laughs> but the first thing I want to point out is I really like this cover. Really? I thought it was terrible. Really? I like it a lot. And and maybe oh. it's just because, you know, I, I had this issue when I was 12. And <clears throat> Wolverine looks all cool. He's... I don't know. He's all, he's got, he's super articulate, drooling there like a wild beast. I like the concept. I feel the execution's a little poor. Really? Yeah. Well then, we. That's just, that's just my feeling. I don't think this guy, uh, John Bogdanov, he's not my cup of tea. Let me just put it that way. Really? Because then you turn onto the inside and you get another Bogdanova or whatever his name is. With Beast and uh, Wolverine doing up their hair, which I think is also a pretty cool little insert. I, yeah, I guess it's kind of funny. You don't like it? Not really. Well, I think it's awesome. So it's basically Wolverine and Beast sitting at their dress-up tables, and they're gelling up their hairs and shaving, and they're you know, doing it up like they do with their little Wolverine spikes. I guess we should call them Beast spikes. Sad trombone. Really? I like it. <laughs> Happy trombone. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, Kieran Dwyer is helping us out on page number one and two to kick the story off. Which we can basically sum up by saying we get a Beast's origin story, mm-hmm. essentially, more or less. Yep. All the way up to through into his... Uh, 
joining the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And then him finding the X-Men. Yep. I think maybe I thought also thought that this was pretty cool because it tied into like the classic X-Men 1 through 10 that I had. So I was like, oh, I recognize these costumes and these people. Oh, yeah. And so I don't know. I, so this to me is canon. Like this happened because this is the, up until today, uh, this is the only way I'd ever read this issue was the classic X-Men version. How little you knew. Yeah, <laughs> how stupid I was. <laughs> and we also get a lot of blah, blah, blah dialogue. It turns out we're in Sullivan County, Texas, um, which we never actually found out in the actual issue itself. Right. He hopes he doesn't. So when Wolverine ran all the way home, that was a long run. <laughs> he hopes he doesn't get in trouble by the Avengers, but it's worth it. What's he doing? Bob, he's a total chump and blah, 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 blah. And that's when he says, oh, my stars and garters. And we flip into the real comic book. I, I don't believe this. I don't believe this at all. Right. So, whatever, just a little bit of origin story, which I guess for the classic X-Men, as far as, like, the retcon stuff goes, it's not bad because it's all factual. Like, all of that happened. It's just if you hadn't read all of the old X-Men and all you had ever read was classic X-Men, you'd be like, well, what's the significance of this blue beast? Oh yeah, it, it makes sense because yeah. otherwise, like you have no, you have no context for what's going on, and you don't know what's going on, what was going on in the Avengers at this time, and you don't know all the stuff that we just covered. Right. So it's it was a it's a nice little bonus for those of you that were just picking up the comic books. Unlike other people, there are other stories that have no bearing on anything, and it's just filling up extra pages. So let's flip to the backup story drawn by John Bolton. And this Okay, here I have to say, great idea. Smart uh way to tell a story that hasn't been told. However, bad, bad story. You think so? I mean, I thought that I mean Mesmero in the trailer basically says, First I found Jean Grey, then she led me to Westchester, and I took everybody else down lickety split, no problem. And I really think that it's a good idea to show that. I I just feel like what they show Yeah is just a poor I I, I as we go through it I'll just kind of critique sure so we start off and it's basically gene uh gray walking through downtown presumably central station or wherever they said that grand central's whatever downtown new york (laughs) when uh snidely whiplash whips out from around the corner and says gene gray your will is mine (laughs) in his little (laughs) dastardly pose there Oh, our title is A Taste for Vengeance. So what oh, I... You didn't mention it. Sorry. What 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 I didn't... What I don't like about that panel, like the first three panels are fine because it's crowded, bustling New York. And then we get this full-page splash of just Jean Grey and just Mesmero and nobody else. Like, where did everybody go? And why is yes. nobody like, look at that creepy snake man. What is he doing here? Why well, is Jean Grey wearing Nikes? Is she? With a, with a dress. Oh, she is. She's wearing Nike tennis shoes with a green dress. I mean, I guess that's cool. I can dig it. It's so, just surprising. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have taken. I wouldn't have expected Jean Grey to m- m- kind of match a dress with uh, sneakers. Oh, you know, in the Marvel superheroes game, uh, they had, um, in addition to powers, they also had like traits. 
So mm-hmm. like uh, Storm was a good uh, gardener. Peter Parker's a good photographer. Uh, and Jean Grey was a fashion, like had good fashion sense. All right. So I'm going to say that she's fashionably ahead of her time. Okay. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. She's kind of like a, a late 70s punk. Yeah. So Mesmero uses her powers against her to take over her mind and says, you obey, or uh, you hear no one's voice but mine. You you obey no one but my, me. Do you understand? Let's go. And she takes him by the arm, and they join the bustling crowd of people who for some reason aren't freaked out about this green man with a purple hood and <laughs> cape. Yep. And it turns out, that at, and I like the story up until this point. Right. This is where it loses me. It turns out that the only thing Mesmero is after is an addition to his harem and his rich lifestyle. <laughs> so he, he's he got the best money, the best clothes, the best food, the best homes, and he's surrounded by all these women. And so now he's got the crown jewel. He's got Jean Grey. And this is the part that got me because somebody in my fifth grade class said, oh yeah, in classic X-Men number 17, you get to see Jean Grey naked. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah. And so I bought it and I was like, yeah, okay. Because what's represented here is Jean Grey in pink panties and a see-through top, although it's not entirely see-through. So for you know fifth grade me i was like this is hot this is most this is amazing plus the way john bolton does these pop culture women i mean you know yeah yeah it's it's he's a good artist of women for sure so yes now he is ready to indulge in his trophy which is that of marvel girl and so he says come here baby and prove your love to me you exist sorely to serve my will. And uh, so he, I, I guess, yeah, he's he's going to have his way with her. But somehow the phoenix is still protecting her. Yep. And uh, he, he basically gives up and says, I give up. I can look, but as soon as I try to touch, the fireworks start. She'll only stay hypnotized if I leave her alone. See, I... This is just too real for me. I feel like this is this is like the dark, gritty '80s in which you have this uh, adulterous uh, manipulator of women character. Whereas he's he was he was fun and goofy, and and this is just too much. Yeah, I mean, with a title uh, with a title like "Taste for Vengeance" and what happened in X Men number one eleven. One would think that Mesmero's plot was, hey, I've recovered from whatever happened last time. Oh, he was captured by the Sentinels, I think is the last time we saw him. And he was uh, hurt because his master that he had been following, Magneto, had turned out to be a robot. It's kind of stupid. But anyway, so for some reason, he's come out of hiding and he's ready and he's like honed his powers or something. And now he wants to get some vengeance. And the people he wants to get vengeance are the people that stopped him last time, which are the X-Men. So he's going to take them down one by one and he's going to bring them to the circus. And well, I guess that part doesn't really make much sense, but I don't humiliate. He's going to humiliate the X-Men by making them perform in the circus. But you're right. This is just a dirty perv. He is a dirty perv. And it literally just starts off like, I just want to have me some women. So he decides now like, well, if I can't, 
have her, I can use her to take over the rest of the X-Men. But even before that, he sits on the floor and he says, darn, 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 darn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, in, the, in, in all of these panels, you get closer and closer panty line shots of, uh, of Jean Grey. So, I mean, it's kind of dark and seamy on multiple levels here. Uh, I could I could see why your uh, your your young young self would be totally into this. Adolescently, it's like, oh my god, panties! Oh my god, so yeah. much skin! Oh my god! This is like a a boy's dream. I would have been if I had known about this. I would have been like, <laughs> whoa, this is so cool! Heck yeah! So, anyways, uh, we flip now over to the mansion where Nightcrawler is busily making breakfast, which I suppose is to account for what Beast found in X-Men 111, though it doesn't make entirely that much sense. No, because what Beast found in X-Men 111 was the, like the, everybody was sitting at the table. Right. Everybody had like a placing. There was food on everybody's plate. Uh, this is just like... Uh, Nightcrawler's getting ready to make some pancakes or something and just drops the pancake mix and milk on the floor. Right. The other weird issue like I had was that it's weird that even like after after this experience that he had where he can't manipulate Jean Grey in that weird way that he wants to, he still has her going on dates with him when he gets to the carnival. It's kind of... I feel like... Yeah, I feel like Chris Claremont really wanted to expand on that whole dating of the boss thing. And, like, this was the way he did it. Like, he just really, really wanted us, the reader, to understand that Mesmero has a thing for Marvel Girl. I guess. I mean, he could have done it any other way, but, I mean, it didn't even have to be addressed for, for you know, all, all that it matters. Like I said, it could have just been the vengeance story where he takes them all over and brings them to the carnival to humiliate them or whatever. But This is what I hate about the dark and gritty 80s. <laughs> it's dark and grittiness. So he takes over uh, Nightcrawler just by looking at him. He takes over Banshee just by looking at him. Uh, Colossus is brushing his teeth, and that's when... Uh, well, I guess he's using uh, the Phoenix's powers now just to mind probe everybody, and then his Mesmero powers are going through the mind probe. Right, and he gets Colossus that way. He gets uh, Cyclops that way, and he gets Storm that way. But Storm lets out a lightning bolt, and Wolverine sees it and runs back to the mansion and is grabbed by a Phoenix Claw, a manifestation of Jean's telekinetic power. Well, one thing I want to mention here is that uh, Wolverine is out for a jog, and apparently he likes to jog in his cowboy hat. Not only does he like to jog in his cowboy hat, which I believe because Wolverine likes cowboy hats. Mm-hmm. It is silly to jog in one. But the Wolverine that I know has never worn tiny red jogging shorts. I'm sorry. <laughs> yep, tiny red jogging shorts, a muscle... i buy sh- the tank top, the white tank top. That's that's totally Wolverine, but and sne- tiny red jogging shorts. And sneakers? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know about the sneakers either, but, yeah, <laughs> it's not good. So yes, all of that happens, and it's all of the X-Men lined up, and uh, I guess this is Mesmero's next thing to entertain him, is that he wants all of the X-Men to beat up on uh, Wolverine. He first contrives, he, he tries to control Wolverine's will, he 
thinks he succeeds in doing it. Wolverine actually tricks him into believing that he did it and then attacks him. And that's when all the X-Men start attacking Wolverine. Look at Wolverine's mouth there on the bottom left of page eight. I know. I, I like. I like those. I like the, the that picture of Wolverine and that picture of Mesmero. Really? Yeah. The, I'm, I'm sorry. The bottom left with uh, his big, wide, toothy. I'm resisting you. On the bottom right, uh, you got Fat Wolverine, and then you've got well, very, it's very like Elvis Wolverine, uh, and then you've got well, old well, Elvis Wolverine, and then you've got. Uh, a Mesmero who doesn't look like he would like to have four naked ladies sitting around him. No, not really. <laughs> More like four colossuses. Colossi. So uh, instead of allowing himself to get close to Mesmero to just kill him or take him out, he waits till he's about 20 feet away, and that's when he comes out of his fake trance. Which gives was faster. Yeah, which gives all of the X-Men the time to blast him out of the mansion and into the pool. And uh, Colossus throws him. Storm hits him with a monsoon. Banshee screams at him. Colossus punches him again. Cyclops shoots him. They talk fighting. about this mysterious unbreakable bones and healing factor that Wolverine supposedly has that I don't I don't know anything about. I have no idea what any of that is. Marvel Girl is still standing at Mesmero's shoulder as he drinks a glass of, I don't know, a martini or something. Nightcrawler teleports all over the place to punch him, and then Wolverine gets the bright idea that since Nightcrawler gets exhausted by teleporting multiple people, he'll jump through the teleport portal with him, which takes him out. And at this point... It's a cool idea, except for the fact that it would tire out Wolverine, too. As we found out in the last issue, was it 110? I think it was 110. When Nightcrawler teleported Wolverine, they both ended up passing out. Wolverine before Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I and and the other I, I do like the fact that John Bolton really likes drawing Mesmero sitting in chairs. Yeah. Like, like Mesmero has carefully placed various chairs throughout the mansion that he can sit in. So he's grown bored of this and uh he wins, he loses, he wins. Who cares? This is boring. In the end, they'll all kill each other. So he says, uh, all of you take a powder until I think of what uh, to do next. And all of the X-Men fall down, uh, except for Wolverine, who's like, oh, I won. I got him. Now I just got to go get Mesmero. Oh, and then he passes out. And that's when Mesmero walks through the mansion and sees a picture of Nightcrawler in the circus and gets a brilliant idea. The perfect solution. I'll take him to the circus. I feel like Chris Claremont is trying to write Mesmero as like a bumbling dolt, and it's supposed to be funny, but I like it better if he's like a one-dimensional, like villain that he is. I, I don't, I don't like this. I, I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like some, something's misguided with this interpretation. He's all like whiny and. I've done what no one has ever done. I've beaten the X-Men. I have them completely in my power, at my whim. I haven't a clue what to do next. Magneto, he'd know. Probably has a billion revenge scenarios, even more delightfully cool than the last. But he's never won. I have, and I'm stuck. Yeah. 
So that's when he takes them out to the circus and says, uh, let's see, um, not for me a tiny taste for vengeance, X-Men, here in this carnival with you as my banquet. I mean to feast in a full measure forever. I don't know what any of that means, but basically he gets a free show every night starring the X-Men, which would probably get boring after a while. Yeah, and really quickly for this guy, he's already showing that he gets bored fast. Yeah. Yep. And it also doesn't show how he eventually gets Wolverine under his power. I don't know. I guess one could assume that as Wolverine tired out and ended up passing out uh, during that fight, um, he took him over. Or maybe... Maybe Mesmero took him over in the first place and only made Wolverine think that he was under his own power because, remember, they all fell at the same time towards the end. Well, Wolverine fell because he was tired. Yeah, I don't know. There's a hundred ways you could interpret it that, but it doesn't really matter. Um, Honestly, I like the story with none of that backstory, just the mystery of like, oh, this thing happened, and now the real story isn't how this happened, but how they're going to get out of it. I agree with you 100%. And I also like, I think what made, for me, Mesmero such an enduring character in that issue is that you don't really see him all that much. You're more dealing with, you know, the inner relationships of the X-Men and Beast coming back and trying to figure out what's going on. And even you as the reader, like, why, what? This isn't what happened last issue. What is going on? And then yeah. and then Mesmero appears and you're like, oh, Mesmero, I remember him as kind of a minor villain from the 60s. I wonder what he... Oh, he didn't do any... Oh, oh, he's now he's passed out and there's... Oh, there's Magneto. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was cool. It was a cool story. It was... It's kind of uh, similar to that Juggernaut story in that we get this kind of uh, weird buildup and, mm-hmm. and a, a tension yeah. that uh, doesn't necessarily exist in most uh, other issues of the X-Men. Yeah. So X-Men 111, pretty good. Some of the surrounding material, also good. Some of it terrible. And that classic X-Men story, meh. Well, we're running a bit long in the tooth in this one, so why don't you just, uh, we'll just, we'll just go straight to the wrap-up. Okay. Until next week, the danger room is closed. <laughs>